Yes, I can sing that high, too. <clears throat> wow, that was great. I appreciate that. He always does a good job. Well, last week, you remember, we started 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and I told you that uh, chapter 8 and chapter 9 are probably, uh, for us as Christians, two of the greatest chapters in the Bible if you're ever going to do what God wants you to do with your life. And um, they deal with the, the, the key to everything, and that is the heart of the minister. Uh, in that passage uh, last week, we, uh, and we started uh, verses 1 through 5, I gave you yet another couple of great principles, and we, we talked about some things that, that you're going to use, um, especially you folks that are going to really commit yourself to work with people, and you're going to try to help people through the struggles of their life. You know, uh, you need to really make sure you get these down, and, uh, and, uh, and, and they're just incredible. Uh, we talked about the fact of the great principle of, of sowing and reaping. Uh, he said in verse 6, and this is where we were at last week, but this I say that he that soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. And we talked about that, and I showed you uh, how that, that goes along with Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, which talks about be not deceived, God is not mocked, whatsoever man soweth, that will he also reap. And I showed you how that those two coming together really form for us uh, one of the seven laws in the Bible. And I told you that there's seven absolute laws that uh, the Bible and everything in life really runs by. All life, all science, everything. And uh, it's, a great, uh, it, it, it's a great concept to, to understand the law of sowing and reaping. And I told you that uh, there's four practical applications to it. And I told you that uh, certainly you reap what we sow. We all do. That's just an absolute law. There's always the law of sowing and reaping. But then I showed you how that uh, when you do get away from the Word of God and the things of God, that compounding effect kicks in. And uh, it just isn't your sin anymore. Now you bring in your family. You bring in other people with it. And the second great principle was the fact that, yeah, you reap what you sow, but we always reap more than we sow. Then we talked about the third principle, that you reap how you sow. And uh, we talked about that. And then I wound up showing you the fourth one, that uh, sometimes uh, when you reap uh, down here the things that are not right with God, it doesn't always come home here. You'll get it at the judgment seat of Christ or for an unsaved person at the great white throne judgment. George Bernard Shaw was probably the greatest atheist of, that I've ever read or read about in my whole life. And I think he lived to be 95, 96 years old. After he died, they found a Bible that somebody uh, had given him. And uh, in the flyleaf of that Bible, he obviously, I don't know that he read it all, but he read some of it or at least briefed it. But in the flyleaf of that Bible, he had written a little note saying that this is the most undesirable book that anybody has ever given me, and I never will pick it up and read it again. That's what he thought about the Word of God. He was a rank atheist all of his life. And yet, lived to be 95 years old. I don't think he was sick a day in his life. He had good fame and fortune. He wrote a lot of things and did a lot of things. And if you would look at his life, you can't see one downside to it. And my point is, you know, you don't always reap it in this life. Sometimes you get it in the life to come, and you have to understand those things. Uh, you'll, you, I, you, you'll see this and use this material a thousand times in dealing with people. I mean, when you start to work with people and, and most uh, b uh, biblical counseling, uh, when you start to uh, uh, deal with uh, situations, very frankly, will simply be uh, when you work with somebody, whether it's a couple, a family, or an individual, it's nothing more than just peeling back the layers. 
peeling back the different levels of a compounding disastrous life that's been going on for 10, 15, 20, 20, 30 years. I've dealt with couples that were married 50 years and their life was, a, was an absolute mess. And it all goes back. It all goes back to the viol- violation of this simple, basic principle that has disastrous effects uh, on our lives if we don't follow it. And so I, I encourage you, those of you that want to work with people, you want to be part of a, a, a church that really helps people, you learn it well because you're going to deal with it very, very often in everything that you do. And then I gave you the great concept that he talked about there that uh, provoking with your zeal, provoking very many. And we talked about how that, that, uh, that uh, you provoke people to good works. And it has a negative aspect and it has a positive aspect. I told you when you preach the Word of God and you get motivated about the Bible, you have a passion about the Bible, it, it gives you, it motivates some of you. It gives you a passion. You see the excitement in somebody else's life. And then, of course, it gets infectious into your life. But it also has a negative effect. We talked about that. Not everybody wants to do what the Word of God says. Not everybody wants to take the Bible and apply it. Some people want to live their life the way they want to live it, and, and uh, it provokes them to a, to a negative aspect. <coughs> so it works both ways. Now today we'll pick it up in verse 7, <coughs> and we're going to read down around verse 15. In fact, I'm going to start in verse 6 where we ended last week. Here's what it says. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposed in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work, as it is written. And what he's getting ready to quote here, if you don't have it in your Bible, is Psalms 112, verse 9. As it is written, He hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remaineth for forever. Now he that ministers seed to the sower, both ministers bread for your food, and multiply your seed sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causes through us thanksgiving to God. For the administration of this service not only supplieth the want of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgiving unto God. Whilst by the experiment of this ministration, they glorify God for your professed objection unto the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution unto them uh, and unto all men. And by their prayer for you, which long after you and for exceeding grace of God in you, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Now, Father, we do thank you and praise you today for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for those that have come out today. Thank you for weathering through this storm that we had this last week and yet the one that looked like it might come this Monday. We pray, Father, your protection upon all those that have to work and travel and, and, uh, Lord, your hand upon us. And we pray today that you'll give us what we need to have. We love you and we're needy people, Lord, in a world that uh, has so much to offer, uh, Lord, that takes so much away from from what God uh, wants to give us. Help us see the true riches today and understand how that we need to be everything that God wants us to be. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name for a sake we ask it. Amen. Now, I want you to look at verse 7 here, and, uh, and here's another great principle we want to mark in our Bibles. He says, Every man according as he purposed in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly, nor of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Now, the first thing I want you to see, and this strikes home in everything that we've talked about uh, so far in chapter 8 and chapter 9, you see how absolutely everything will go back to our attitude of heart toward God everything. He says in verse 7, purpose in his heart. 
when you go back and you look at probably in Daniel chapter 1, one of the greatest examples of how that, uh, and we have our young people in here today. Uh, you know, Daniel was a young man just like many of you are, and he came to the point in his life where he was faced uh, with the same things that you're going to be faced with. And the Bible says that uh, he was taken down into Babylon, and there King Nebuchadnezzar wanted to make him like the world, make him like everything that it was. And the Bible says in Daniel chapter 1 and verse 7, it, it, one of the greatest principles uh, in the Word of God for you young kids, for every mom and dad, for every single, for every elderly couple in this church. When Daniel was faced with what he had to do and what the world wanted him to do and what Nebuchadnezzar wanted to give him, Bible simply says, and Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not sin against God. He purposed in his heart. I'm telling you, everything that we are, everything that we do, as Christians, everything we attempt to do will go back to our attitude of heart uh, with God. And that is a great verse uh, where it says, every man according as he purposed in his heart. And then I, I got to say this, this verse, and I've said this all through this, this verse is used 100% of the time by most preachers to manipulate their people into giving money. And that's what they do. Uh, they use this verse to beat people over the head, and uh, pastors are so busy trying to get their hand into your wallet that they never bother to spend the time to get the context of both chapters. And the context of both chapters is nothing about money. That's not what he wants anybody to give. He doesn't want the money. He wants them. It's about you. It's about me. It's about you and I giving ourselves first and giving your heart to the Lord. That's what he wants. And uh, we know that in this chapter, <coughs> the story is built around that the saints here in, 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 the, in the church at Corinth did take up an offering for the saints at Jerusalem. We know that. They're having a tough time down there, and they were very poor themselves, and they, uh, they wanted to take up <coughs> to help them with all they were going through. But you've got to remember, first things first. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5 told us that they gave of themselves first. 2 Corinthians 8.12 said that they first had a willing mind. It was their attitude of heart that they gave to God that God used to get everything else done. Simply being very happy, joyously, giving all of ourselves to God for all, fully understanding that on the cross of Calvary, He fully gave everything of Himself for us. Hebrews chapter, Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says that, that the Lord, uh, for the joy that was set before Him, we think of the crucifixion. We don't think of it on a joyous occasion. But to God and to Christ, it was. You know why it was? Because it was the joy in his heart of what he was doing for you and for me. And that's why the Bible says in that great passage for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He despised the shame for you and for me. And that's a great concept. And you know, our job is, as a church, my job as a pastor and uh, most pastors never figure this out, but when a pastor really has a love for people and a love for the Bible, and he's got the call of God in his life of, of helping people, and that's really our job. That's really what our job is all about. Our job simply here is one thing, that's making people better. Sometimes we do that by people getting saved. Sometimes we do that by people who are already saved, struggling through issues in life that we hook up with them and help them uh, get a pathway out of what they're going through. But as a child of God, our lives should be devoted to making other people uh, successful, whether it's God's people as Christians or just unsafe people, helping them find the Lord Jesus Christ. We do that by provoking them with our zeal. <clears throat> and that's the job of the church. And a smart pastor 
who has a love for people will realize that he can't do it all himself. He'll realize that one man can't handle everybody. So what he does is he takes the people that God sends him, who get his heart for ministry, who have a love for people, who want to work with people, much like many of you do, much like we do in the people ministry and the other people that work with people and disciple people, much like the turnaround program or the restart program. There's no way one man can do that. There's no way that one man can do everything in people's lives that need to be done. So what he does, instead of trying to do that, that. What he does is he takes the people that God brings him, the people that want to, and then he invests himself in those people and he, he replicates, he reproduces his zeal, his passion, his love for people, the Word of God. He gives them all the tools that they need and then instead of one guy doing it, you have 60, 70 people doing it. That's how you do it. That's how it needs to be done. You don't look at building a church and look at all the people out there. You look at building a core base of people who understand that our job is simply making people better. Our lives should be devoted to other Christians. Our lives should be devoted to helping them be successful, provoking them with our zeal to good works. I can't tell you how I saw this in action. You know, sometimes, sometimes, you go along, you go along, you go along, you put a lot of effort into things, you see a lot of things, good things happen, but sometimes it's like that, that Polaroid shot that God just gives you that just shows you what's really going on. Last week at Restart, and I've always been proud of everybody here that works with me and proud of everybody that wants to be part of this work, and I love you all, but I've never been more proud of you, and I think in these last couple of months. And uh, restart last week was just a was a was the tip of the iceberg for me. I I, I, I carried it around all week. It just it was a <coughs> it was the a medicine to my soul. Uh, you know, we started down at Turnaround last week. We went down there and I had a team go down and organize their clothes. And Richard Phillips, who's the guy who's going to be uh, over what we're doing, and just a really a great guy. Uh, I, the Lord just opened up the opportunity. I wanted him to see, because I know they get a mindset of volunteers, and I wanted him to see what really volunteers who love the Lord really do. So I, the Lord just opened up the door, and I, I took him around to all the different places. I didn't get to get into all the teams, but I took him up to the, 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 the mission and showed him the guys all were very nice and kind, and he really just, you, you could tell the you guys that met him, he's just one of us. And I took him up to restart, you know, and walked him through, and, and he was just absolutely blown away. It was a classic example that your zeal, your zeal was provoking him to good works. We got in the car and went back, and he says, you know what? He says, I thought, I thought uh, you know, we were going to help you. It looks like you're going to, we, uh, we were coming to your rescue and help you. It looks like you're going you're gonna to come to our rescue and help us. He could not get over it. You know what really impressed him? The joy that everybody had. It wasn't like you're here just doing this, grumbling and complaining about it. It was hard work. It was a lot of things that people were doing, and yet everybody was happy. Everybody got along. There was no fist fights that broke out. Everybody was just wonderful. The kids really impressed him. And I got to tell you, I, I, I got to tell you, it's a thing where uh, that, you know, I watch you little guys up there with the little kids helping do their crafts. I watch you kids out there wrapping hot dogs with your mom and your dad. I walk you out there, uh, you know, pulling big boxes out and helping them there. Uh, over at the turnaround thing, there was a couple little kids over there that were helping out. Uh, he was blown away with that. And then we get into the car. 
we get into the car and we're ready to haul out, uh, haul out of there and, and your team starts coming in. You're coming in for more hot dogs, Will's team. And, you know, they all just kind of descend over the car. And there again, everybody was happy. Everybody was out there laboring in the Lord and doing this thing. And he's just blown away. And then, he, and then somebody, I forget who it was, somebody came over in the car and told me this story. I don't have all the details, but I guess uh, 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 Woody and uh, um, Jordan were out on your team and they picked up as they're walking down, they walk down the streets and do everything. And I guess uh, you picked up some homeless guy that walks with you ever on Sundays and, and goes out with you. And they were, he was going along, talking with everything. So they got ready to part, and, and, and they were going to pray for him. And he asked Jordan to pray for him. And I guess Jordan just prayed him under the church pew. I mean, it wasn't like, bless my doggie, bless my cat, bless my... It was down the line, brother, line by line, exactly what he should have done. And I'm thinking to my... And this guy's seeing all this and hearing all this. I'm telling you, it's, it's incredible. It's incredible. And that's what our job is, making, being blessings to other people, helping other people be better, helping them be successful. And many times they, they have struggles in their life. Many times uh, they're going through issues. Our job is to help peel back those layers. Our job is to work with them and to help them and be a blessing to other people. Now look at verse 8. goes right along with this. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you that ye having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Now, I, I want to tell you right here, I, I mentioned this to you last week, and I'm telling you now, this is, for a child of God, this is, right here, is the greatest verse in the Bible that God ever wrote to you and me after we're saved. It's right here. This verse is everything that you could ever want. It is without a doubt out to be memorized by every child of God on the face of this planet because it is to you and to me as God's children the greatest single verse in the Bible. For it simply says that God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. It simply says that God is able. And how many of us really believe that? We talk about it until we, some catastrophe comes into our life. We talk about it until uh, we don't get things the way we think we ought to get them. We talk about it until uh, something doesn't go right in our lives. And yet the truth of the matter is in every circumstance and situation, God is able. He's able to give us in abundance all sufficiency in all things. The Bible talks about <clears throat> walking by faith and not by sight. That's what that principle is, is, uh, is talking about. It's talking about truly walking by faith and not by sight, believing that God is able. You see it all the way through the Bible. It's what Noah had. It's, he believed that God was able. When way back in Genesis chapter 6, God told him that he was going to destroy the earth with a flood. And nobody knew what a flood was. Nobody knew what a rain was. Nobody believed in God's judgment. And for 120 years, all he had was the promise of God that God told him what he was going to do in a world. Noah's got to be the most lonely man in the Bible. He had nobody to hang out with him and God. He walked with God and God gave him through the promises all the sufficiency that he need to get through everything that he went through. We see it in Moses. That's what Moses had when, when he believed God was able, when he had to wander for 40 years to a place that he never even 
saw before, that he didn't know anything about, a place that only God had promised him that God was going to send him to and that God was going to give him everything that he needed to get to that land. God was able. We see it in David's life. When David had to go out as a young boy and fight that giant, Goliath, a man of war versus a man of youth, that giant was standing in the way of God and God's people. That giant was standing in the way of what God wanted to accomplish with his people. And there'll be giants in your life that will stand in the way of what God wants to do with you. And little David, 15, 16, 17 years old, about 110 pounds soaking wet, up against a 13, 14, <coughs> 15 foot giant weighing over a, probably 1,000 pounds with all his armor on, took him on and defeated him. You know why? Because he knew God was able. I think of Daniel. I think that's what Daniel had when, when he was taken into captivity and taken away from his family, never to see him again. When he was pulled out and taken into Babylon and, and, and through a process of when Nebuchadnezzar, and let me tell you, if the devil can't get you one way, he will try to get you another way. And when he couldn't get Daniel one way and he couldn't get him this way, he contrived a plan to get Daniel to be killed. And you know what they wound up doing? They wound up throwing Daniel in the lion's den. We learn that God is able you see, it doesn't ever matter if you get thrown into the lion's den as long as the head lion in the den is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Amen. He believed God was able. It's what Paul had when he said, For I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. And all that he went through and all that he struggled with, but he believed that God was able. And it's what you and I will get us through. It's the fact that God gives us all sufficiency. It's the fact that God will get us through. It's the fact that God saved us for a purpose. And when we would do what's right with the Word of God, we do what's right with God in our lives. God is able. The question is never, is God able? The question is, are we willing to let God be able? But I also got to tell you this, it doesn't just happen, does it? I think most God's people think God runs a big lottery and some people win it and get spirituality and some people lose it and don't get the ticket and don't get it. It doesn't work that way. There's always a process to getting what God wants you to get. First of all, you have to decide that you're done with this whole world. I don't care what your problem is. I don't care what your issue is. And people have a variety of issues. And I always tell them this, until whatever, whatever is holding you back, maybe it's drugs, maybe it's, maybe it's booze, maybe it's women, maybe it's, it's just the mixed multitude that you hang out with. I don't know. But until you look at that and mark it and see it the way God sees it and hate it like God hates it, you're never going to get out of it. Never going to get out of it. Never. It'll never happen. You're the one that has to decide. Uh, you're the one that has to decide that you're done with this old world. I can't decide it for you. I can't, I can't do it for you. I can put all the people in place to help you, but until you come to that point in your life, it is a waste of time because you have to decide. And until that happens, nothing ever changes. The second thing is you have to decide to divorce yourself from the mixed multitude and the worldly crowd, the weight that so easily besets you, we talked about in the book of Hebrews the weight that drags you down until you decide in your life that you're done with that and you make a break from those things and you start going where God wants you to go and walking with God, you ain't going anywhere. And it's ludicrous to think that, that uh, you know, uh, I had a lady one time, she says, I need you to, I need you to help, I need you to put some people in my, in my boy's life so he'll start making good choices. I said, lady, I don't have any of that people in my church. 
What am I going to do? Am I going to put 100, 200, 500 that's going to follow your boy around for the next 20 years, making sure he doesn't make bad choices? When does it ever become his responsibility to start making good choices? And until that happens, folks, it ain't going nowhere. It ain't going anywhere. You may want it to, but it isn't. I, I told you last week, it's like that medical procedure. And four or five of you looked up that 300-pound tumor that woman had. Wasn't that the ugliest thing you ever saw in your life? I told him last week there was a woman didn't weigh more than 110 pounds, looked like she had a 300-pound tumor they took out of her. I mean, it looked like a bowl of jello that had been sitting around for a couple of weeks. I ain't kidding you. What a, I know it's gross. I should have probably said that, but that's what it looked like. <laughs> But I, I told you, I, I told you, what do you do? I, I said, what you need to do is whatever's in your life, look at it like fat, ugly tumor, whatever it is, whoever it is. And it's eating away at your flesh and wants to destroy you and in time will and destroy your family. A couple of weeks ago, I gave you an insurance policy. A couple of weeks ago, I gave you a, 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 the greatest outline for an insurance policy on you, your family, your wife, your husband that you're ever going to get. Prudential Insurance Company talks about get a piece of the rock, the, policy I'm passing out is you get the whole rock. You know, just get a piece of it. But I told you that, and I'll tell you today, uh, God has a, a policy, an absolute uh, policy that will guarantee that your family will be everything that it needs to be, but there's a premium that needs to be paid. And you're the only one that can pay it. I can't pay it for you. I can, I can give you the policy. I can fill out all the, uh, and point out all the fine print. But at the end of the day, you're going to pay the premium. Remember, I, we talked about three things, and I think it was probably the single greatest message that, that I could have ever preached to you on the success of you as an individual and in time as you get married and have a family. And I told you three things. The first one was build an altar, remember? That's your own personal walk with God, building an altar. Your own personal place in your life where you decide what you and God are going to do. Psalms chapter 1 has always been one of my favorite psalms. It says, blessed is the fact it was the first message I ever preached uh, when I preached my first message many, many, many years ago. And it simply said, blessed is the man that walketh not on the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in this law doth he meditate both day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the river of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season, and his leaf shall not wither. And then the next verse simply says, but the ungodly are not so. See? You see, you see the process of how it goes? You see the process? The Bible says, Blessed the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. The first thing that happens when you stop walking with God is you start walking with the counsel and taking your counsel from somebody that's ungodly. When you quit getting your counsel from that book, you're going to get counsel from somebody. So you're going to get counsel from somebody and you start walking with them instead of walking with God, and you start listening to what they say. And then the compounding effect takes place. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of them godly. And after a while, when you walk with them and you take their counsel, the next thing is standeth in the way of sinners. You're no longer walking with them. You're standing with them now. You're taking your stand with them. Standeth in the way of sinners. You started out walking with them. Now you're took their counsel, now you're in the crowd with them, you're standing with them. And then the third one says, sitteth in the, sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Now you're in. Now you're in with the scornful. 
Now those who, who you once loved the Word of God, now you don't love it as much as you did. Those of you who love this church and love what the church was all about, now you don't love it anymore. You've been sitting in the seat of the scornful. You've been hearing what scornful people have been saying because you've been standing with them. You started walking with them, and it all goes back to either you walk with God or you walk with the ungodly. There's no middle ground to it. Never has been. Never has been. Second thing I told was to pitch your tent. That's your family. That's building your home. And I showed you how that you pitch it toward one of two things. I gave the example back there of, uh, of Abraham and Lot. Uh, Abraham pitched his tent, his family toward Bethel. Bethel in the Bible is the house of bread. It's where uh, he had a great relationship with God. His Lot pitched his toward Sodom. We know what that's all about. The third thing I told you is dig a well. That's ministry. Ministering with your family. Laboring to get water for yourself digging a well to get water, the type of the Word of God for your family, and then, as so many of you do, get it for others. You know, a pastor always looks at his people and he always evaluates them. In his mind, I do, anyhow, I think he should. The Bible says that a pastor should know the state of his flocks and look well nigh unto his herd. And if anybody was a herd, you guys certainly are. <laughs> but if there was ever any question as to the state of most of you young couples, and where you're at and what you want to do. It's been answered in the last couple of months, I guess. You know, and I know where many of you are because we work so closely together in ministry and all the things that you do, but we've had a host of brand new couples just coming in. And it, it's been answered in the last month. And it, it's been overwhelming, the response of so many of you uh, fathers and mothers and you young couples. You know, I probably have been booked up every week with appointments, every everything that I've had, probably 40 or 50 phone calls of people are calling me and, and they all basically say the same thing. I, I want to be, I want to, I want my family uh, to be safe. I want my family to be what God wants it to be. I want my, I want to be a dad saying, I want to be able to rule and command my family. I've heard it over and over again. I don't want my kids turning out like so many people's kids, drinking beer and smoking cigarettes and smoking dope and fornicate and just being a general reject when it comes to the things of God. I want to learn to pitch. I want to learn to build my altar. I want to learn to pitch my tent. I want to learn to dig my well with my family. And I commend you for that. That's what it's going to take. And I commend you for, for, for you wanting you to do that. I, I, I think that, that our church is at a place right now where it's, uh, it, we've got everything in the right spot, everything in the right place. We've grown through every process and every challenge that God has given us. And I told you, you remember that I also told you that when you do that and you pay that premium, here's what God does. Here's what God does. He providentially blesses your family. He providentially preserves your family. And he providentially provides for your family. You see, eight and nine tie together because in nine, eight, this is the all-sufficiency in all things that he's talking about. God just doesn't want to take care of your family and making sure you got food on your table. God wants to take it one step beyond and guarantee that your kids will minister with you. That unbroken cycle will keep on going. God just doesn't want to give you what you need to get through you the week. God wants to take your family and preserve it, that you can rest in it, that when you go to bed at night and lay your head on the pillow, you know because you've done uh, what God wants you to do, that God is going to, and you paid that premium no matter what comes. And there may be some rough times. There may be some hard times. I'm not going to say that it, all the bumps are going to be taken out of the road of life. I'm not even going to tell you that all the, all the potholes will be taken out. I am telling you that your family at the end of the day will be preserved. It'll be provided for. 
I am telling you that it will be blessed and you'll have the blessings of God in your life. And I see it in so many of yours. I, I see it in so many of your lives that, that, that the blessings of God, and I don't think many times that you, you actually see it where you're at because it's hard to see it sometimes. But he promised us if we built the altar, pitched the tent, and dig the well, that our families, your marriage, you, would be providentially blessed, providentially preserved, and providentially provided for. It's a simple law. Sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. Sow bountifully, you reap bountifully. Good or bad, but you get to choose whatever it is. Uh, two simple principles, I, I think, for the Christian life, and I can honestly say I've lived my life by these for 40-some years. I believe it just like I believe everything that's true in my life, and I, I, it's just two simple things that I, I don't think I've ever preached on it, but it's been always, there's been a day goes by that it's not in the back of my mind, these two things, and I actually can honestly say I live by these in everything that I do because I believe it more than probably anything other than I believe, and they're real simple, they're real basic. But I've lived my life by these for about 40 years now, and I want to tell you something, they work. They work. Principle number one, it's so simple and so basic. You take care of God, he'll take care of you. It's just that simple. It sounds simple. You take care of God, he'll take care of you. You take care of God, he'll take care of you. It's just that simple. The second one is even as simple. You do right by God, he'll do right by you. Bob Jones Sr. used to say, do right till the stars fall out. You'll get accused of not doing a lot of things right. That never bothers me as long as I know by the Bible I did what was right. And I'm not, I'm not interested in pleasing you or somebody else of convincing you what I did was right. I'm only interested in convincing God that it was right. Because if you do right by God, he always does right by you. Those two principles will get you through everything in life. The Christian life, without a doubt, is the most simple, basic, uncomplicated way to go through this life. God simply gives us all sufficiency for all things, and we simply do the work that he saved us for, and basically following the design that he laid out through the Word of God. It's just that simple. You take care of God, he'll take care of you. You do right by God, he'll do right by you. But remember, it's the other side of that coin, Job 9, 4. Also one of my favorite verses. He is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Who? Who hath hardened himself against him and prospered? And the answer to that is nobody. The answer to that is nobody. And that's why so many of God's people struggle. They want to pretend that everything is right with God when everybody knows that it's not. They want to pretend that them and God are okay when they know that it's not. They play this silly little game of pretending that everything is where it needs to be with God, and yet in everything in their life, it is a dead-end street. You know why? Because nobody, nobody, nobody hardened his heart against him and prospers. You just don't. You want to prosper? Get the insurance policy that God's got for you. Now, I want you to see verse 8, and I want you to get this. Here's the deal breaker, as they say in the world, with God. And 99% of God's people never figure this thing out. They never do. They never do. They never figure it out. 
He says, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that he having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Now get this, and I want you to listen to me on this. Everything God gives us, everything God has given you, everything God has provided for us, your job, your family, your house, your car, your food, your abilities, your clothing, everything you and I have, it comes from God. But it comes from God for one reason and one purpose. Verse 8, that ye, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. He puts everything in your life after you're saved and gives you everything you got for one reason, for you to do the work that he saved you to do. And when you file that up, when you get that system out of whack, when you get that process backwards, it's going to be problems in your life. It's just that simple. It's just that simple. When he says that you may have all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work, that's the work of the ministry in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12. That's what 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 17 says when it says that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. The work of God. No other reason. No other reason. That's why some of you struggle in everything that you do. I've seen God's people all my life in the ministry struggle. They struggle with this. They struggle with that. They never can get ahead. They never can do anything. And, they, and it all goes back usually to the same exact two principles. They're not taking care of God the way they should. They're not doing uh, what they need to do. You take care of him, he takes care of you. You do right by God, he, die right, he does right by you. And I watch some of God's people struggle in everything they do, in spite of all they have. I'm not talking about people that just don't have anything. I'm talking about people who have everything, being the most miserable people you ever saw on planet Earth. You know why? Because things don't satisfy you. They do temporarily. But it's like going out and buying something new, and then after a week, it's not new anymore. So you got to go out and buy something else to keep you propped up. Hey, I got something for you that will last. It won't cost you a dime. It'll be the greatest thing you ever put in your life and keep you like you got your fingers stuck in 440 volts. I've seen God's people all my life struggle with everything that they do in spite of all that they have and all that they try to get. Yet they're still miserable. They're still unfulfilled. They still just can't get ahead in anything, anything. They just can't. Somebody says, can you help them? How do you help them? Rule number four in counseling is simply this. You can't make somebody do right more than they want to do it. How do you help somebody that refuses to change the things in their life that are a fundamental change? You can't. Do you want them to? Absolutely. But that's where you got to draw the line. You can't step over that line. Many times families have a tough time with that. They love their kids. They love their this. They love their that. And they're out there in left field. And they try to do everything in the world to try to to make it for them and try to set it off. You know what? You can't do it until that person, whoever it may be, decides, I'm done with this world. You ain't going nowhere. As I drove down my street, I was lucky enough by God's provision to have a four-wheel drive to get around, but a lot of people didn't. But I loved it. I loved the object lessons because I drove down my street and counted 15 cars that were stuck spinning their wheels. And you know what? I named them after every some of you people in here. That's all you're doing in life is spinning your wheels. You know where you live? You live at 1401 Dead End Street. And you ain't going to get any better. It ain't going to get any better. 
It just isn't going to get any better. You see, the Bible's about a wise man, and the Bible's about a foolish man. The wise man, he figures all this out. He gets blessed, and then blessed is the man that walketh not on the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth the way of sinners, nor standeth the squirrel. But his delight is what? The law of the Lord. And he, in this law doth he what? Meditate day and night. And he should be like a what? Tree planted by the river of waters. That's Ezekiel 30, uh, 38 through 40. That's the, that's the water of life. And bring it forth his fruit in his season. You only got a season to your life. You better be bearing fruit to it. <coughs> the foolish man, he never figures it out. He never figures it out. Never does. And I, I've seen it all my life in ministry. I, I've, seen, I've, seen, I, I've seen people all my life that, that just could never, would never figure it out. And I almost said couldn't figure it out. But that's not true. They don't want to figure it out. The theme of chapter 8 and 9 is the heart of the minister. The heart of the minister is giving. Giving your life to God based on his giving his life for you. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. What a great passage. Everybody ought to have it marked in their Bible. You ought to know it. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that he presents your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Here it comes. And be not conformed to this world, see, but be a transformed. See, that's the problem. Conforming to the world, as long as you're conformed to the world, the transformation can't take place. You see, it isn't about getting a thousand people in your life to help you. It isn't about getting everybody in the church to pray for you. It's about a transformation that has to take place in your life. It isn't about getting 9,000 people to make sure you don't make any more bad choices in life. It isn't about helping you get away from this person or that person or this crowd or this crowd or booze, cigarette, drope, whatever it is. It isn't about that. It's, it's about as long as you are conformed to something, you can never be transformed away from it. Can you not get that? As long as you're conformed to the world, there'll never be a transformation from the world to Christ. And that's what it takes. I have no mystical, magical power to fee-fi-fo-fum uh, make you spiritual. Nobody has the power to make you anything. You have to decide, I'm not going to conform, and now I'm going to get transformed. And until that transformation takes place, you are wasting your time. I, I don't know how you can't get it. I mean, it's just that simple. But be not conformed to this world. But be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. There it is. The renewing of your mind. You can't think the way you think. I tell you all the time, you can't solve problems in your life with the same kind of thinking that caused those problems. Got to renew your mind. Got to renew it. Be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of the mind that you may prove it is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Simply, here it is. He died for you. He died for me. He died for us so you and I could live for him. His sacrificial death in God's mind should have produced our sacrificial life for him. He never asked you to die for him. He asked you to live for him. No, he went through the agony to die. Now, that doesn't mean that you won't die in some case, but most of us won't. He never asked me to die for him. He asked me to live for him. I'm not, I, I will never understand. I will never understand why some of God's people have such a tough time with that. 
I guess it goes back to they don't care, they don't understand what he did. You know what the Bible says? It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that presents your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Why do God's people take something that in God's mind is so simple and so reasonable? I died for you. Look at what I did. This is what I want you to do for me. Is that unreasonable? Why is it that we as God's people think living for him after what he did for us is so unreasonable? The older I get, I'll be honest with you, the older I get, the tougher time I have with that. I do. I do. I really do. To think of a child of God would let God die for him on the cross, that a child of God would, would understand. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe you don't understand. Uh, but you don't understand the agony that he paid on that cross. And you would just snub that. You would just walk away from that. You would just say, thank you very much. I'll take the salvation and I'm going to keep it to myself. But I just don't think it's reasonable that I give up what I want to give up and who I want to hang out with to do what you want me to do. I, I, I don't understand that. I, I, I wish that somebody would explain that to me. I have a tough time with that, and I'll be honest, the older I get, the tougher time I have with it. He died for you and for me, so we could live for him. The Bible's about a wise man. The Bible's about a foolish man. Your reasonable service, in God's mind, he thought it was only reasonable. I, I mean, is it unreasonable? I mean, he died on the cross, what he went through. He died so you and I would live for him. And yet you have some of God's people that says, thank you very much, but no thanks. Oh, I'll take the salvation. I want the blessings. And every time I get in the jam, your phone's be going to first one I call, God. But as far as me doing anything for you, that's just a little unreasonable. I'm going to pass because the more I talk about it, the angrier I'm getting. So I'm going to move on before I say something I'm surely sorry for. Preach. No, 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 you do not want to hear what I'm thinking. <laughs> Bible about a wise man. A wise man loses his life, the Bible says, but then he finds it. And then through a life of giving back to God, he has all the blessings, all the protection, all the provision that he needs in his whole life. The foolish man, he keeps his life, and for him and himself, and he squanders it on the foolish things of this world. He keeps his life and loses all the blessings of God that he has for him and this life and the one to come. Many times he loses his kids. Many times he loses his family. Many times he loses his wife. Many times he loses his job. Many times he loses everything that he's got because he wants to keep it all when he thinks it's all his. You know where he lives? He lives at 1401 Dead End Street. Now look at verse 10 and 11. Two more great verses. Now he that minners seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food and multiply your seed sown, and the increase the fruits of your righteousness, being enriched in everything, to all bountifulness, which causes us, uh, causes through us thanksgiving to God. Now, there it is again. One more time, the aspect of our job is the work of the ministry. And there's four things here I want you to see. 
The first thing he says, now he, he that ministers seed to the sower. Now that's God. We're the sower. We're supposed to be. And God ministers the seed to the sower. That's God to us. That's on Thursday night, Sunday morning, your time in the Word of God with all that we do, God giving us the Word of God. He ministered to us and gives us this book. That's the first thing I want you to see. He that ministers seed to the sower. Then I want you to see the second thing. Both minister bread for your food. Now there's your daily family job, all the physical needs that you have. There's Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. My God shall supply all your need according to riches and glory by Christ Jesus. There's God, first of all, supplying your physical needs. He's giving you all sufficiency in the physical things. There's the kick-in policy for the insurance of your family. There's the providentially blessed, the providentially provided for, the providentially preserved right there. God making sure you get what you need. I'm going to show you the process in a minute. Then the third thing, and multiply your seed. Multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Now that's the spiritual side of it. The ministry of the Word of God to others and God giving you the increase. And you know what? Our church is full of those examples. And I know because we do so much and many of you don't see it from my perspective, I have a better angle on the church probably than most of you because just of where I'm at and what I see, and I don't let my emotions get involved in things, and I deal with things pretty much black and white. But, uh, but I've seen that same thing increase. I got looking at the other day at, at uh, going, looking for somebody's phone number, and I, I, I started looking at people. And I counted about, I counted about 35 people in our church 35 people in our church that when I got looking at those and it started to sink in that about four people in this church invested their life in. People that came into this church just like many of you are here today. And somebody discipled them. Somebody worked with them. Somebody took them and helped them. And about four or five people in this church were responsible for, for the multiplication of 35 people. That are, and I'm not talking about just people that come to church. I'm talking about people who are online in ministry getting the job done. You know how that happens? It isn't because you're such a great person, though you are. It isn't because you're such a great Bible teacher, though you probably are. It's simply the fulfillment of that promise, being enriched in everything to all benefits, which causes us uh, thanksgiving to God. It is God multiplying your seed sown in the increase of your fruits of your righteousness. That's all it is. It's God taking a man or a woman who says, God, I'm going to give everything that you want. I understand what you did for me the rest of my life. Here it is. I'm probably going to screw a lot of things up, and I'm not going to have a good day all the time, but I guarantee you at the end of the day, you and me will still be working together, and then you let God do it. He builds you. He milds you. He puts you where he wants you to be. You're flexible enough that God can put you with anybody, any circumstance, any situation, and you adapt to it. You bring those people in. You give them what they need. You help them. You bring them along. And in time, they're out now discipling other people, doing this, doing that. That's the example of the people in this church. Oh, and hey, and I understand at the same time. You know, when you talk like that, and I hate to have to even take time to say this, but you got to do it because it, you, if you don't, people think, well, you know, you know, he doesn't see. Believe me, there's a lot of idiots in this church. I understand that. I know that. There's a lot of goofballs in this church. I, know, not, I shouldn't say a lot. Three this morning are here. No. I shouldn't say that. But I got to say it. I understand. I understand there's always going to be, when I say, you know, and I, and, I, and I have a tendency, you know me, 
I have a tendency to focus on what I have, not what I don't have. And I get very blessed by what God, other people that, that get in my heart and do the ministry. That's all it is for me. Nothing personal. I got a job to do. I'm going to stand before God someday and give an account. Maybe you don't care that you are. Don't get mad at me because I care that I do. And you know what I'm going to give an account for? Everybody sitting in this room. I know some of you like me to get up here and do a nice serpent message and tell you how nice you are and tell you how great you are and how sweet you are. But you know what? That ain't going to cut it up there. So when I stand up here, you want to take it on to me now? Okay, we'll take it up with the boss when we get home. My job is to tell you the truth. You have a right to get upset to me when I tell you a lie or I tell you something that isn't true or I go out of my way to try to hurt you. Then you have every right to be upset with me. But when I'm preaching the truth, you still have a right to get upset with me. But we'll iron it out up there. But I'm not coming up here. And you think I'm going to stand before God and get up there and tell you some flowery message and then you all lose your reward that the gentleman's here to Christ? You'll be a lot more mad at me up there than you are right now. But either way, I don't care. I don't care. You know why? It doesn't matter. Restart will get done next week. The job will get done this week. People will get ministered to this week. If somebody gets saved this morning, there'll be somebody to win them to Christ. You don't win, place, or show in this thing. So it's okay. It's okay. But I'm, not, I'm just telling you. I'm just telling you. That's how it works in our lives. That's what the church is about. It's what we're here for. I'm not sure why some of you think we're here. We're here to make others better. And you know as well as I do, if you got a kid in sports or you got a kid in this in academics in school and they're not doing well, you got to motivate them. You got to find a way to get them motivated into what they need to do. Well, that's what the ministry is. Hopefully that through my zeal, it will provoke you to good works. But honestly, I don't really care which way it provokes you. It'll get you in or get you out, and it's okay with me either way because the job will get done. See, that's the thing most people don't understand. You're missing out on it. Some of you people think that if you quit the church, we'll fall apart. No, no, you're laughing. There's people that think that. They think, well, I'll show them I won't come to church anymore. Oh, I just don't know what I'll do if you won't come to my church. You're the one that's going to lose. That's how it works. Hey, God saved you for a purpose. He saved me for a purpose. He left us in this old world to do a job. He knows we have to live here. He knows we have to have a house car to get around, a job to pay the bills, money for kids to go to school or buy food or clothes. So he provides all our physical needs. He gives us the all-sufficiency in all things. He gives us a job. He gives us food. He gives us a home. He gives us clothes, a car. He provides a family, a husband, and a wife. But he also feeds us his word. He provides us with the scriptures, the seed that needs to be sown. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.20 that we're ambassadors for Christ. That's our job. So the Lord does all those things in our life that he can show his word through our lives. That's how he does it. He wants to, gives us everything in our life, all sufficiency, everything Everything he gives us, he gives us 
for the work. He gives us our families. You have those kids. Our job is to raise them up, put them back into ministry. That, that's our job. So the Lord does all of those things in our life that, so he can show his word through our lives and our families. He takes the word of God, the seed that he puts in you and motivates you with his passion. He puts the mind of Christ in you. He gives you the passion that you have for God and other people see it and it provokes them to good works. He uses that to bring people to Christ and he uses it to provoke other Christians to good works. He does this by giving you his righteousness that will in time when you get a heart for God bring about a willing mind and giving yourself to him and that's when you bear fruit. And the last thing that it does and this is the fourth thing it brings about the final aspect of everything that God gives us. And that's found in a verse 11. Our thanksgiving to God. Remember now it's through us. The person you minister to thanks God for sending you to them. And the person who got sent to them who ministers the seed in the word of God thanks God for allowing him to be part of all that God's doing. You see how it works? Now, may I speak frankly to you? That's, that's praise in the Bible. I don't know where anybody got the idea that four or five people up here singing some crazy, goofy song is praise. I don't know where anybody got the idea that having a rock band up there is praise. I, I don't know where that came from. Well, I know where it came from, but I, I, I don't know how they got that idea. I mean, uh, praise is not some band. It's not some singing group. It's not pretending we praise God in a Christian nightmare, uh, nightmare nightclub atmosphere. Yeah, I was right the first time. Praise is twofold. Praise in the Bible is twofold. One, you thank God and praise Him for sending somebody to you that told you the truth. Two, I'm the one that told you the truth. I thank God for allowing me to be part of what He's doing to tell you the truth. And it doesn't go any other way than that. That's praise. You don't have that in your life? You got no praise. You know what God's people do? I'm embarrassed sometimes about myself with God because we as God's people we only we only call on God when we want something if you want a good piece of advice drive out in the country sometime by yourself find an open field where there's nobody around that can hear you park your car in the middle of it and get out for an hour or two you go horse just praise God and scream glory to God and praise him for everything he's done in your life it's so redundant that we always ask God to help us here. Give us this. Give us that. But we never stop and just praise God and say, thank you for what you've given me. Amen. We never do. We never do. You know why we don't do that? Because God's not using you in anything. God's not using you with anybody. There's some of you people in here that you ever opened up a praise session of the people that God's put in your life and you're working with right now, you take up two days of your time. There's some of you people here this morning that with the people that's put it, invested in your life and done with you, if you start thanking all the people and thanking God and praising Him for He cared enough to put people in your life to give you everything that you want, it'd take up two days of your life. Amen. You didn't get here. You didn't get here on your own, and you didn't get where you're at on your own. You got here because God took somebody's life, gave them that passion. They gave that passion to you, and that's why you're here today, and they're thanking God that God uses me, and you're thanking God that God sent them to you. 
Now they're not, there is nothing to praise about. So we can dump the dark lights and the smoke and the music coming out from under the thing. We don't need it. Amen. Because real praise isn't about that. Real praise is thanking God. But when you're a big multi-million dollar church and cease to be about a book that God gave you, and that's now it's all about you're building your millennial inheritance down here. That's all you got. You don't minister anymore to people. You're in the entertainment business. Hey, if you're not, as a child of God, if you're not provoking people by your zeal and what you're doing and not praising God for the people that God's put in your world that you minister to and they're looking back and praising God for God putting you in their life. Did you ever read that story in Acts chapter 8 when that old Ethiopian eunuch got hooked up with Stephen? That Bible says that even on his way, what? Rejoicing. You know why? He was thanking God that God sent some man to give him the truth. That's praise. I told you a hundred thousand times around here. We don't build buildings. We build people. The ministry is people. Getting them saved, peeling back the layers of life, spending time working with them through their issues, making them better, putting up with their issues, and yes, even their stupidity, developing them into strong Christians, strong moms, strong dads, strong families, helping them build their families strong, making them successful for the work of the ministry, and now you've got something to praise God about. Thank you, Lord. Verse 12 says, For the administration of this service not only supplieth the want of the saints, that's my daily needs, but is abundant also by our thanksgiving to God. Praise God for what he's done with me and allowing me to minister the word of God when I don't deserve it. Praise God for God sending me that person that helped me get where I'm at. Thank God for the person that helped me peel back that layers. Help thank God for the person that I was so caught up in it and couldn't get out of it and trapped in it for so many years that they were patient enough. They took the time. They met with me every Tuesday, every Wednesday, every week, and they took the time and that word of God and they peeled back those layers one at a time. They helped me walk out. They threw me a cake with a hacksaw in it so I could break out of the jail I was in. Then verse 15, and he closes with this chapter. Of this chapter with this great verse. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. What, what can I say? What is there left to say? God's gift to us, his son, his word, his plan for us to be part of all that God is doing. Not just a bystander, but right in the middle of all the action. You ought to be proud to be God's helpmeet. I know the story in Adam and Eve is a picture of the first marriage and all that, but it's also a picture of my relationship with Christ. Eve's the weaker vessel. We're going to see it when we get into chapter 11. Eve's the weaker vessel. Adam's a type of Christ. First, a type of Christ in the Bible. You know what she was to him? A helpmeet. Not a helpmate. A helpmeet. M-E-E-T. Helped Adam meet the needs of the ministry that God had given him accomplished in this whole world. And when you got saved, I got saved, I became God's helpmeet. And I know I've got my problems and I know I've got my issues, but I'll tell you what, the thing that scares me to death is that I never want to be an unfaithful mate to my God. I want to be a helpmate, meet. I want to be there for him to help him meet the demands for the ministry. And very frankly, some of you just find that unreasonable. And I don't understand it. I don't understand it. I don't understand it. God getting our hearts. 
us giving our life to God, then God taking us, taking our families, giving us all sufficiency to accomplish what he has for us as a family, and we minister together. The gift that God gave us, I told you Christmas, I preached on that very verse, was the gift that keeps on giving. It's a gift that never ends. It's a gift that brings eternal praise to God, and that's what he deserves, and that's what he wants, because it goes back to every day of my life thanking God for saving me out of the mess that he saved me out of. Every day of my life thanking God, why me, that you'd pull me out of the cesspool and the sewer that I was and put me in the ministry and allow me to have part of this precious book. There's been a time that I don't open this book and God shows me something. I look at the 300, 400,000 notes I got in that Bible that I don't ask myself. I don't look at it and say, wow, look at what I got. I look at that and say, God, why would you ever give something like that to me? Why would you ever entrust that to me? Somebody like me. God, if I'm all you got to do this, you're in sad shape. Amen. And you give him praise. Bible says someday, Revelation, it talks about the fact that we'll we'll get our crowns. And we get those crowns, the Bible says, that we lay those found, crowns at the throne, at his feet, at the throne of God. And that's how it works. Real praise is understanding that no matter who we are, what we have, how good you preach, how good you sing, whatever you do well, all because of what he gave you to do. That's all. <clears throat> And when you get all those crowns at the judgment seat of Christ, if we get anything at all, and we say, wear them around, we hear them around, and some of you will have dump trucks, some of you will be trying to borrow one from somebody. And, and you, you know, we're walking around, and we have those crowns. Uh, everybody says, wow, what is, the, what is the purpose of God giving all those crowns? Why do you want a crown? You know why you want a crown? Because there comes a point when you walk into that throne room, and you got all those crowns that God gave you for what you did for him. But the real truth of the matter is, the only way you got those crowns is what he did for you, and it all goes back to him. And the ultimate praise takes place at that point. And there won't be a band. There won't be any smoke. There won't be any lights. There won't be any rock band. It'll be just you walking up to that throne, laying down those crowns at his feet. and said, Lord, I love them. Thank you. But you know what? I couldn't have done it for you. And the end of the day is it all goes back to you. All praise and glory to God. Because that's where it goes back to. Wise man, the foolish man. Some of you, very frankly, are the wisest, some of the wisest people I've ever met. You really are. I've watched you make good choices, watched you turn your life around, watched you get into the book. Just the last couple of weeks, and I'm not going to say how a young couple in here just started coming, gave me one of the greatest testimonies that anybody could ever give me and show me that they're on the road to being a wise man. There's some incredibly wise people in this church, but I also want to tell you there's some incredibly foolish people in this church. You'll just never get it. You'll never get it. I didn't play volleyball last night because I didn't, hadn't been feeling well all week. I had a terrible cold. I want to be ready for today, so I just stayed home last night. It's amazing how dogs lick you when I suppose that the face will just be the greatest medicine you can ever have. <laughs> I watched on TV last night the movie Schindler's List. It came out 20 years ago. Probably one of the greatest movies I've ever seen, talking about the Holocaust. 
Oskar Schindler, for those of you who don't know the story, was a German who started out trying to be a privateer by making money, uh, by making, taking Jews and making them slave labor to make money. In the process, he, he saw what the Germans were really doing and he really fell in love with the Jewish people. And the movie title Schindler's List goes back to the fact that he had a factory and he got all these Jews out of the concentration camp that were destined for the gas chambers. And four or 500 of them, he put them on a list that they became workers in his factory. In fact, <laughs> he, the factory was a bust. They, had to, they, they were an armament factory and none of the shells would work. So they, he had to spend all of his money buying shells from other places so he could just keep those people till the war ended. And I don't know if you've ever seen the movie. I, I love it. I think, it's a, I think every, every young kid at some age ought to see it because it's a true story. And Oscar Schindler is buried in Jerusalem. And at the end of the movie, it shows all the descendants. There's over 6,000 descendants from Schindler's List that are alive. Well, it was 20 years ago. And they all walk by his grave and everything. And it's a moving thing. But I, I've always thought at the end of the movie, the war's over now and Oscar Schindler has to flee because as far as the world is concerned, he's a privateer and he's a war criminal. And the Jews made him a little gold ring and, and out of the Song of Solomon inscribed it and, and gave him a declaration that they all vouched for him and sent him on his way. But at the end of the movie, he stands there as he's ready to leave. And he now understands what he, what he did. He understands now that the Germans had killed 8 million Jews there's almost no more Jews left in, in, in Europe. The four or 500 that he protect, that he put on that list, and it finally hit him. And he breaks down in an emotional moment in that movie at the end. Where, because he was a very rich man. He dressed very nice. He had nice things. He had a nice car. And he starts going through his life, and he, he says, I should have done more. He takes the, the ring off. It was a diamond ring, and he says, that ring was would have been worth four more people. He looks at his fancy car and he said, I could have done more. That car, I should have got rid of that car. I could have brought 10 more people over. He looked at, at his clothes and all that he had and he says, I, I, I could have sold all of that. And he says, I could have brought over much more. He says, I should have done more. And I can't ever see that part of the movie that I don't think that that's going to be what it's like for you and me at the judgment seat of Christ. We're going to look back at all God gave us, the all-sufficiency, and go, we're going to, all going to say we could have done more. We're going to look at the time that we didn't go to restart or we thought something else was more important. And we would have said to God, I could have done more. Maybe I could have influenced one person. We're going to look at the opportunities that God had for us that we didn't care about. We went and did something that we wanted to do. Or we're going to look at all that we had and all that we amassed in our life and yet what we didn't do, nothing for God. And we're going to stand there. And just like Oscar Schindler at the end of that war, it set in what really happened and what he really did. And then it got to him because he, at this point he really loved those people that he could have done more. God's given out you and me all sufficiency that we'll do what God wants us to do. And I look at that boy and I just cringe because I know with the judgment seat of Christ, we'll all have our list of the things that we did, bought, got into, and, and, and became part of that we could have put away 
and reach more people because that's the only reason we're here. And you can kid yourself, you can kid yourself. You can be the best baseball player, the best basketball player, the best football player. I've seen guys who could hit the ball out of the park and couldn't guide their kid through the Romans road of salvation. What's the point? I've seen people be able to do this and do that and when their own family came to it, they were inadequate. What's the point? He gives us everything. That we take our families and build them and then we give it all back to him. That's praise in the Bible. Praising God. Praising God for when I was out there and nobody cared. When I was out there lost and was out there with nowhere to go that somebody cared enough to invite me to volleyball. Somebody cared enough to invite me to softball. Somebody cared enough to invite me to church on Sunday morning. And I got saved. And then you know what? Didn't stop there. That same person cared enough to disciple me, to get into my world, get into my life, meet with me every Tuesday, every Wednesday, every Monday, whatever day you do it. Met with me every Sunday morning on prayer group. Met with me here. Whenever I had a problem, there was always somebody I could call. They became a mom to me or a dad to me. Oh, we had our little groups of eight or nine people where we all just met and they just spread out the word of God and gave it all and praised to God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for sending that person in my life. That person is on the other side of the fence saying, Lord, I don't deserve any of this. This is the greatest thing in the world, man, to be used of the God of the universe. Praise the God and thank you, Lord. Thank you for as unworthy as I am. Thank you, Lord, for as stupid as I am and as bumbling as I am and as for messed up as I am. Thank you for allowing me to be part of all that you're doing. That's all the praise there is, folks. Every head bowed and every eye closed.